Midweek VanCast for you as we record for a second day in a row. Tom, we took the long weekend off to decompress. Friday was a busy day for the Vancouver Canucks, <laughs> and uh, here we are back uh, getting in our three a week. So this is the middle podcast of this week. We'll have one more still to come. Not a whole lot has changed on the Canuck front, but you and Harm have put your heads together and have come up with the buyout power rankings that are now posted at The Athletic. And to me, it's it's incredible that an article like this has to be written, right? Like, we're at a point in time with this hockey club that this is a thing, the buyout power rankings. But that's where we are. They've got to find some way. Uh, they've got to find some ways. They got to get creative here in the off season to free up some money. And certainly, uh, buyouts—a word that came out of the mouth of Jim Benning on Friday—are uh, a realistic opportunity for the Vancouver Canucks. Except, as you guys point out in the piece that's posted, there really aren't that many great buyout candidates that make a ton of sense for the hockey club in the position they're they're in right now. There really aren't, and and I think so. First of all, buyouts didn't just come out of Jim Benning's mouth as like a thing that they would explore. It, it was part of the prepared statement. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, right. like it wasn't, it wasn't an off the cuff, you know, shooting from the hip uh, Tuesday, Jim, we're going <laughs> to free up some cap space. This was part of the prepared statement. Like buyouts are something we will look at. And I think that was a tacit admission that, you know, the club messed up last off season, like the lack of a buyout in the 2020 off season and in the article, we called it the original sin of the Canucks offseason. And I, I still believe that. But here's the other problem, j And this has become top of mind for me, I think. Especially because I didn't write on Friday. And I took the long weekend. And I've sort of decompressed about what we've seen. And increasingly where I'm sort of starting to go with where the Canucks are. What they need. What their positioning indicates to us. You know, increasingly I'm convinced that anything you're doing that adds cap space to next season from this season is a mistake. Fundamentally, fundamentally the Canucks are too hamstrung to upgrade and improve enough this season to really go for it. Like, and and this is sort of what's so annoying about where we're at with this franchise is that this past off season where Pedersen and Hughes were still affordable on entry-level deals, that was the year to go for it. That was the year to go for it. The club made, you know, a, a sh- short-term, small-minded, budget-influenced decision to instead be penny-pinching to the fullest extent in how they operated in the cuts that they did to the player personnel spend and not buying out, you know, Brandon Sutter and Sven Berchi. Like, why did you not buy out Sven Berchi? It's only 500k in additional space, but, like, this guy might as well have lived on the moon. Yeah. You know, like yeah. he was, he could not have been further. I, I feel like I had a better chance of skating for the Canucks this season than Sven Berchi did at any point, you know, um, to not have done it then, but to be considering it now, you know, I, and people are less sort of reacting to our article being like, well, you put the Holtby buyout together with a, a potential Jake Bertanen buyout. That's an additional 6 million in space. Sure. But at the cost of three million in space the next season, and three million in space the next season with Roussel, Erickson, Beagle, Luongo recapture, <laughs> you know, all coming off the books. Like, why? Why keep the 2022 23 books clean? That's your window. Like, that's the season when you can improve enough to win a round, not just make the playoffs get outshot by, 
you know, 100 by the Vegas Golden Knights in seven and hope that Thatcher Demko goes on a Connor Hellebuck-style eater and steals the series for you. Like, the, it just doesn't make sense. The, the Fundamentally, the only player that they should buy out is Jake Bertanen. That's because he's at a one-thirds clip. It only adds 500K to the books for 2022-23. I think other than that, the idea of multiple buyouts is actually kind of self-defeating. And, and that's sort of what we wanted to go through. Like, as much fun as it is to think about Roussel and Beagle and Erickson being bought out, the way those deals are structured, it, it, like, it, it actually costs the Canucks more in cap space to buy out those deals than it would to simply put those guys on waivers and have and send them to Abbotsford to play in the American League below the line. I'm still having trouble wrapping my head around you having a better chance to play for the Canucks than Sven Berchi because this idea of a third line of VC, Boyd, and Drance. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, <laughs> I, like, I, I, you know. And Drance might be the most effective guy on that line. <laughs> no chance, no chance. Can't even skip backwards. It doesn't matter. Um, but <laughs> and the, look, uh, the I'm I'm honestly embarrassed having said it, but the point was was that Berchi was just like so like there was just no way there was no way they were ever going to play this guy and and we know that like we know that from how the season transpired we know that from everyone they gave a shot to including like seven shifts for Jonah Gachevich. Uh, I mean there it was just never going to happen there was no there 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 was no reason not to buy it out um, honestly it would have even saved the club money. Like, it even would have saved the club money. I think they were just trying to hedge that maybe AHL salaries would be prorated differently or, or what have you. I mean, it honestly, it was just small. It, it was small, small strategic thinking. And, you know, I think the concern for Canucks fans should be that the club's going to do it again. Is going to having, having st- 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 like been conservative with the with their cash and strategy in a year they should have been aggressive they're now going to be transitioning and looking to be aggressive in a year when they should be conservative and it's just like this is always going to happen if your ownership group has no plan doesn't insist on a plan from your hockey operations group and just sort of wings it um in terms of setting things up so that everyone's always trying to keep their job as opposed to trying to go about doing the serious, unsexy business of building a serious Stanley Cup contender. You know, one of the things in the article that really jumped out at me, and I think it was in the Beagle, the Beagle section, um, was, you know, we have focused in this market, Tom, for so long on the dollar figure and the term. And Mm -hmm. both of those are are troublesome, and we know that. And and they're sort of why the Canucks are where they are, not just with Beagle, but Roussel, Erickson as well. But as you guys point out in this piece, you know, now the chickens are coming home to roost here because it's not just the dollar figure and the term, it's the way these contracts were structured as well. Like, it's incredible to me that Jay Beagle got himself a buyout-proof deal when he did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Um, yes, it is. And, and you know, there's a lot of chatter, I think, in this market, too, about how the Canucks get back to getting, you know, your Jason Spezza's or your Joe Thornton's or your Wayne Simmons's or your guys who come for less. You know, even Jimmy Vesey, who signed in Toronto, right? Signed in Toronto for less than he probably could have gotten elsewhere. Uh, a decision that, you know, probably didn't work for him, work well for him in terms of his future career earnings. But, you know, people want to win. People genuinely want to win. They want to buy into a vision. Or they want to be part of something that's bigger than themselves, especially if they're not going to break the bank. 
And the Canucks have been willing, I think, to pay extra treasure in term for players, you know, who, who weren't necessarily sold on coming to the West Coast because the Canucks were in a rebuild and because, you know, the attention in this market is is really high or or whatever. There's a million reasons to not want to go anywhere. Taxes are high. Cost of living is high. Buying power is limited. Whatever. There's a million reasons to not want to play in any market in the NHL if you're intent on seeing it and if you're intent on having your agent use that to enhance your leverage. And fundamentally, the Canucks need to get out of that loser mentality of needing to pay extra. Um, Sign guys who want to play in a market where winning is unlike it would be anywhere else. Like you, you gotta, you gotta have enough sort of confidence to, to pump your chest out that way. And if you're going to lose Jay Beagle on July one, like that's fine. (laughs) You know, you have to be willing to lose Jay Beagle. You have to be willing to be creative and find comparable solutions that aren't necessarily perfect. And, And I think that's one thing this organization's really struggled with. I think you see it with the Tanner Pearson extension you know, like this is not sins of the past. This is extant, something that the club's still dealing with. You know, Tanner Pearson is a really good player, in my opinion. Like I'm higher on Tanner Pearson than a lot of people. I think he's an excellent middle six winger. He does all of the things you want from a guy who can help you win games. But you also need to be self-confident enough to replace that player, <laughs> especially considering all the priorities that the Canucks have to take care of this offseason and how limited their cap flexibility is. Not to mention the fact that Pearson would have netted a really big return. Like, I don't know that he would have netted a first, but he definitely would have been in that Felino-Taylor-Hall market. And, I mean, that's a no-brainer. Like, it's it's just a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer always. It was a no-brainer the moment the Canucks fell out of things in February. Um, But they get, I feel like this management group, this team gets so intent on the piece they need, you know, that they're unwilling to sort of, sample and, and try to find solutions creatively on the open market affordably really hard to find value if you're getting fixated on you know the one thing that that you can't replace like there are comparable goods in a cap system you need to be self-confident enough to find them and you cannot overspend in my view on guys who you know tell you they don't want to be in a place like just go just go sign players who want to be there then that's it it's it's not super complicated I think it's a loser mentality to be overpaying because a guy says, oh, I don't want to play in that market for X, Y, Z reason. The Holtby one is interesting to me. I mean, I think that would be a tough conversation for Jim Benning to have to go to ownership and say a year after signing this guy to this contract back in loaded the way it was. Now we want you to write a check to make him go away. So we'll see what happens with Holtby, obviously, in Seattle expansion. Um and, and what the Canucks, I mean, we know that they're going to expose him first and foremost, but um, I, I do wonder too, like, you know, you talk about the fact, like, you get cost savings up front with a guy like Holtby, he would come off the books, but then you're pushing a chunk, I think it's almost two million bucks to that 22-23 season where you're trying to free up as much space as you, you possibly can. The other problem there is, Don, they, they, somebody's got to back up Thatcher Demko. And totally. I like I just don't know if Mikey DiPietro, after the year that he's had... Oh, you don't want him doing it next season. Right. That That's sort of my line of thinking. So now you're paying Holtby to go away, but you're also paying somebody, you would think, a low-cost veteran guy... Yeah, Scott to, Wedgwood or someone. Right. Like, we know what the organization thinks of Demko. We know how Travis Green uses Thatcher Demko. Like, Demko, if he stays healthy, is going to get a ton of starts. But you still need a backup and a credible, legitimate one at that... 
And so, you know, these are the things you have to factor in. Like, does a buyout of Braden Holpe make sense if you're paying him to go away, but you're also paying somebody else then to come in and play the role of Braden Holpe? Like, how much savings to the organization is there to be gained? I think you're best off looking for a 50% retained deal. You get 2.15, you know, million in cap relief. That's less than the 3.8 you'd get short term if you bought, bought him out. But the overall, the aggregate cap relief is higher than if you bought him out because of the $1.9 million hit that comes the second year. You know, a buyout's a, a last resort for a, for a player like Braden Holpe. I think you, you do everything you can to get Seattle to take him, to point him to, point Seattle toward him. If that costs you additional assets, so be it. I still think you, you have to explore that in my view. Um, you know, and then if that doesn't work, I think you explore a retained salary transaction. And if that doesn't work, honestly, I don't think you buy them out. Like at some point, this club needs to take their medicine. You know, at some point you need to just sort of sleep in the bed you've made. And for me, you know, again, it's problematic because the Canucks have structured things where you know that the general manager and the head coach with two years on their deals are going to want to make the playoffs this upcoming season. In fact, the club has explicitly stated that that's the primary goal as opposed to winning a cup in the next four or five years. And the reason that that was so problematic to me, the reason it wasn't just a gotcha question when, when, you know, I asked it of Jim on Friday is that, you know, structurally things are so plainly set up for the Canucks to do some pruning this season and go for it in 2022, 23 like, this is a cyclical business. It's a hard-capped league. You you have to sometimes make the best of it, and sometimes you have to cl- you have clear space and you can really push all in. The Canucks' chance to push all in was last offseason. This offseason season is a maintenance offseason. This is like, get Pedersen and Hughes done. Those contracts are crucial. Other than that, though, because of the logic of you know, and it's twenty million, J. Pat. Like we're not talking about a little sum of money. We're talking about twenty million, right? Between, sorry, is it twenty million? Yeah, between Beagle three, Roussel three, Erickson six, Vertanen two five. You know, and Luongo recapture, yeah. <laughs> and Holpe, and Holpe, right? Okay, and Holpe. So actually, we're looking at over twenty million on a backup goaltender. Three replacement level fourth line players, um, and a guy who had four goals. Guy who had four goals this season. Um, I mean, it's you can't when a quarter of your cap space is spent that way. You can't take the leap forward that this club needs in one off season. This is a maintenance off season fundamentally, and I think the club needs to recognize that and behave that way, or they're just going to prolong the mediocrity that this market has dealt with for almost a decade now. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I can't believe that we're devoting time on the Bandcast to Louis Erickson, but this is sort of the buyout edition to go along with the piece that you and Harm have written that's posted now at The Athletic. So, you know, people always talk about Erickson and just buy out the final year of 
his deal, or we talked about Beagle and, and Roussel. Um, why doesn't it make sense, Tom, for the Vancouver Canucks to buy out the final year of Louis Erickson? You, so you get $2 million in relief, right, if you buy out Louis Erickson for next season at the price of one additional million on the books for the 2022-23 campaign, right? This is partly related to his structural deal as well. He's got a signing bonus in this in this season. It's a $1 million signing bonus. If you were to simply bury him in the American League, next season you'd get $1.125 million in cap relief, right? So by the time you factor in Factor in that 1.125. That's an opportunity cost lost if you buy him out, right? You cannot um, then also accrue that 1.125 million in benefits. So we're only talking about 875k in cap benefit for buying out Louis Erickson at the cost of 1 million in 2022-23. So your aggregate cap benefit from exercising a buyout on Louis' deal is actually negative, right? Like <laughs> it, you're you're accruing additional cap cost. To your team by exercising a buyout on Louis' deal, why? Like, why? Just again, I mean, I mean, this is like, I know they're not a sponsor, but this is like Buckley's. Like, it doesn't, you know, it's not good. <laughs> it, it it's gross going down. But you're just like, just just let the deal lapse. You know, sometimes sometimes your sometimes your best approach is to wait. Uh, the this is like a you know. It's 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 bad cold medicine. It's also like a uh, like a finger trap, you know. Like you're, you're, if you relax, <laughs> if you relax, you get out of the deal in one year, as opposed to extrapolating that pain over two and ending up paying an additional hundred and you know seventy five k against the cap sheet over the next two years. Just let it expire. Just like this hasn't worked. It sucks. Louis not been good in Vancouver. I don't think I don't think there'll ever have been a Canucks player paid this much who mattered less to the fans in this market, right? Like, it's just, I, I mean, apathy. Apathy toward Louis Erickson sort of characterized his entire Canucks tenure. You just got to bite the bullet one more year. You know, he'll 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 kill some mean penalties down in Abbotsford, and that's kind of it. Yeah, I mean, I, my thought with that is, like, you know, what could be worse for the Vancouver Canucks and this fan base after six years of Louis Erickson? How about a seventh year of Louis Erickson if right. they push... Like the appetite in this market, I just there's no way. Just None. leave it. Just leave it. Don't don't pick that scab. Just just you know, <laughs> choke the Buckleys down. Relax and get your fingers out. At the end of the year, it'll be over. It, it's really unfortunate, but it is what it is. I'm mixing a lot of metaphors here, but that's just because it, you know <laughs> someone's <laughs> got to dress up the Louis contract. That's the Louis treatment. <laughs> you just mix as many metaphors as you can. You put them in a big bucket and stir. So so you've got Louis and Adam Cracknell teaming up to be this penalty-killing force Perfect. down in Abbotsford this season. 100%. Although Adam Cracknell's like a 0.8 points per game guy in the American League, man. Like, I don't know. Louis probably going to be playing a little further down the lineup. One of the things that you guys mentioned in the piece, and I have trouble imagining that there is any sort of market. And and people always say, like, hey, if Wayne Gretzky got traded, anybody can get traded. Uh <laughs> that's that's true. I believe I know, this, by the way. When yeah. people when people used to say like Luongo's contract's untradeable, I remember I used to call it the Scott Gomez corollary. The Scott Gomez corollary is that there is no such thing as an untradeable contract. That's fine. I, I'm glad you jumped in there because I was almost going to use Jay Beagle right after a Wayne Gretzky, like using Wayne Gretzky in the right. 
Yeah. So there was a nice little break there. You would have, I think you would have missed a hundred percent of the shots you took. <laughs> right. Like, <laughs> look, I see more value in Michael Furlan on LTIR the way that you have laid that out as, you know, a, a carrot for another team, as opposed to like if Jay Beagle is deemed healthy enough to play, like I just can't imagine. Sorry, and and I, I believe that's happening, by the way. I have I I I keep meaning to drop this in an article, but I believe um, my understanding is that Jay Beagle is going to see specialists at some point, w- whether it's before the end of this month or in early June, but that there is now a pretty widespread organizational understanding that Beagle's not going to end up on LTI um, next uh, next season. So um, right. So at this stage, know, just drop in news twenty two minutes into the VanCast as I do. Sorry, that's good. No, that's awesome. Uh, but I just at this stage of his career and and sort of what he's been reduced to in his role and. And the speed of the league and everything else, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just, I have trouble imagining that there is an organization out there that would think, yeah, Jay Beagle is a piece that we have to have. And I know he's got championship pedigree and he can win you some face-offs, but you got to be able to do more than that to play in the National Hockey League. We've seen that from Jay Beagle here in Vancouver the last couple of seasons. Yeah. I mean, maybe a team like Buffalo or Detroit. Like, you know, a, a team would have to really value the character side of Beagle, which is real. I mean, sure. Jay Beagle, Jay Beagle to me is like one of the top prospects in hockey to be a great player development guy. You know what I mean? Like, he's going to be a great player dev guy. He's played at every level. There's never going to be a prospect who's having an issue that Beagle hasn't dealt with unless they're immediately put into the NHL. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, if someone really valued that part, I guess I could see it. Plus, you know, there is the fact that because Beagles do a signing bonus, he'll only have $1.2 million in actual salary remaining after, you know, some point, you know, before the season begins. So maybe a team values that to, like, get to the cap, um, have a character guy in the room, have a guy who can kill penalties and win draws. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think you're getting rid of that contract without taking money back or including sweeteners, right? Like, I, I, I'm with you. I don't think there's going to be any value there. So if they can't move him and he is deemed healthy enough to play, he's not playing for the Canucks next season. He can't, can he? Yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he's your thirteenth or fourteenth forward, or maybe he's your fourth line center. Like maybe, maybe that's a reason you don't re-sign Sutter or, or Travis Boyd, and you know, your fourth line is Jay Beagle and and Matthew Highmore and Tyler Mott, and you know, you're. I mean, you're just sort of spinning your wheels, but, you know, that's sort of how I see that playing out. The one thing, the one thing about that, though, is like, don't you think Mott, like, if you had a fourth line that had Mott and Highmore with, like, Sutter, like, couldn't you see those guys combining to score something like 15 to 25 goals? Oh, 25, come on, that's on the... Well, somewhere between there. I mean, 25 would be eight each. Yeah, I mean, Sutter had nine, but three of them came in the same game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but they were beauties. Beauties. I have no idea. I mean, Highmore didn't score in Chicago. He scored because he got top six opportunities here. He's not going to score. In a, I, I don't see him as a scorer in a bottom six Me role. neither, but over an 82-game season, I think they could get somewhere between 15 and 25. A, bi- a big range, but, you know. They could chip in some offense, is my point. Like, Tyler Mott's a good against-the-grain attacker. If you gave him a, a center who could produce some offense or could help... I mean, and Sutter's not really that guy either, because ideally you'd want someone who can, like, make plays a little bit. But, like, you know, 
there's some attacking against the grand attacking potential with both of those wings. If those guys are your fourth line wings with the right centerman, I think you can look at maybe getting some supporting depth offense from your fourth line. If Beagle's your fourth line center on that line, I don't think you can expect that. I know on Friday, Jim said he wanted three scoring lines. Like Travis has always said, oh, I want four lines to contribute. And we know that that wasn't the case with the way this season played out. So we also heard Jim say that he knows he's got to get better players and, and some more scoring depth. But when I hear the general manager say three scoring lines, like it does, like, what about the fourth line? Like I, I still don't, all these years later, like I'm not really sure what Jim's vision is of his bottom six. Like we've heard for so long how much he values leadership and character and, and that's led him to overspending. Like I, I just don't know at this stage of the proceedings. Like what does he value? Like, you know, three scoring lines, great. I think the really good teams have four scoring lines. So I don't even know when he says three scoring lines, like I don't know what that leads to in the construct of a, a fourth line for next season. Yeah, I mean, Jason Spezza would be one of the three top Canucks scorers at five on five this season, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like it took until it took until like game, you know, fifty four for Niels Hoaglander to pass him. <laughs> <laughs> um, which you know, just a testament to the distance this club has to travel. Right? It's it's a long road here for the Canucks to be among the NHL's best teams. A long road, which just sort of again, cycles back to this offseason and what the club's priorities should be and why carving out an additional $5 million in space to do what? Like, to do what? What are you doing with that space? Or unless you're carving out that space so that you can go long on Pedersen and Hughes, I, I don't see how it's worth it. Like, it, I just don't... It, I, it does not compute to me, for me, strategically. You mentioned Spezza. It's funny. I was watching the Leafs, and you see Galchenyuk with three points. Yeah, and like, like it, great. It it dawned on me though, and I had forgotten this. Alex Galchenyuk played for the Minnesota Wild last year in that play-in series against the Vancouver Canucks. I know. Had no points in four games, and quite frankly, I thought maybe was playing himself out of the National Hockey League. And, and he was. He was. And he, and he was, right. Because I mean, yeah. he started this year in Ottawa, then to Carolina briefly, and ends up in Toronto, right? And mm-hmm. it, like, it is funny just what positions you put a guy in obviously matter. But like, at when Minnesota got eliminated from the playoff bubble, I wasn't sure that we would see Alex Galchenyuk in the National Hockey League again. And here he is picking up three points in a 4 nothing win for the Toronto Maple Leafs, a win away from advancing to, to round two. So... Uh, you know, it, it is sometimes it's hard to figure. Uh, like, I, I look at Nick Dowd and, you know, sort of the way that he has resurrected his career in Washington. And people are right. freaking out because Nick Dowd, I think he had nine goals and he scored the overtime goal. Like, Nick Dowd fit into the Sea of Grandlands here in Vancouver when he was here. Like, 100%. The, there wasn't much to his game. So, like, to see Nick Dowd, people are, you know, like, oh, the Canucks let Nick Dowd go. And they basically swapped him with Beagle. When Nick Dowd was here, there wasn't anything to his game that would suggest that he was going to be a nine-goal scorer uh, in the National Hockey League again. And, you know, so I, I don't know. Like, I'm not losing a whole lot of sleep that Nick Dowd, like, to me, Nick Dowd, <laughs> Nick Dowd isn't the one that got away for the Vancouver Canucks. No, but it's environmental, right? Like, player performance, especially further down the roster, is you know, so fundamentally shaped by the environment in which players play, right? Like Pierre-Edward Belmar 
right? Like Pierre Edward Belmar has spent most of his career as like a Jay Beagle analog, right? He had 10 goals for the Avs this year, right? You you put players in different positions, you put them in a more up-tempo, dynamic, offensive environment, um, you get crazy results. Like you get guys who overperform, you get Nick Dowd in Washington, you get Galchenyuk and Spezza being like a 25 points at even strength guy in Toronto. Um, you know, you get Pierre-Edouard Belmar being a, being a 10-goal guy. Like that's... That's sort of what it's about. And, you know, the Canucks have so much redundancy in the bottom six, right? Like, there's so many players that are, over the past few years especially, have essentially been, like, non-hitting, defensively responsible, but slow players with limited offensive upside. That's been, like, sort of like Schaller, Sutter, Beagle. You know, like, on and on down the list. I mean, Tyler Mott brings something different, stands out. Antoine Roussel, when he was healthy, brings something different, that stands out. But you, you saw it this year when you put a Matthew Highmore or a Jace Howerluck onto this roster, and it's like, you know, Highmore's got plus wheels, I think, at the NHL level. Howerluck's about an average skater, but how fast did Howerluck look relative to what we've seen from the Canucks' bottom six outside of Tyler Mott in, in the past few years, right? Like, it's not just... The, the cost of having these guys isn't just on the cap sheet. It's also that by overloading your bottom six with the types of pieces that the Canucks have overloaded the, their bottom six with, you end up also getting less out of everyone involved because you've got slow players that can't contribute offensively and, and all do sort of the same thing on the ice. It's, you know, fundamentally a construction flaw. And... You know, that's another thing this club needs to change and that I don't think they're going to have the flexibility to change this offseason. And that's creating the type of dynamic where you can get the sort of overperformance that other teams, you know, other organizations seem to be able to consistently get out of, you know, limited or flawed or imperfect pieces. I mean, think about like Curtis Lazar in Boston or, or you know, Sam Bennett goes to Florida and look what he does. Um, you know, the, there's a litany of these stories around the NHL. It's just that there hasn't been any stories like that in Vancouver since, you know, I I mean, I don't know, like maybe Adam got at last year. So maybe Adam got at last year, but other than that, you know, this team just hasn't found smart ways of getting good value out of contributing pieces. And and there's far too many tales that end like Adam got at this year or like Zach McEwen this year, where guys just kind of flatline. Um, you know, that's something that this club needs to fix. All right. So, you know, one of the things that we've talked about here is buyouts. There's a bunch of things, obviously, uh, that are all interlinked here in this offseason. And we heard Jim Benning talk about buyouts. We've talked about trades, free agency, Seattle expansion. When I look at a lot of these mock Seattle expansion draft lists that are out there, and I know that you have this healthy disdain for the Winnipeg Jets, <laughs> but I, I see almost um, like across the board, every mock draft has Mason Appleton of the Winnipeg Jets going to Seattle. I see Mason Appleton as a guy that could be a decent fit with the Vancouver Canucks. At least I, I think he could be. Uh, if you're looking to upgrade your team's speed, uh, you know, it doesn't look like the Jets are going to protect a guy like Mason Appleton. Do you see Mason Appleton? as a possible target. We've talked about this at length. 
as a mechanism the Canucks have to use to try to target these teams that are going to have protection issues. I just throw that yesterday on the pod, we threw out some names of potential UFAs, but what about the likes of a guy like Mason Appleton as a trade target? Sign me up. Like my, you know, I've been making fun of the Jets. The Jets have so much depth talking point that has emanated out of a series that was all, all Connor Hellebuck, like make no mistake. And the reason for that is people look at the Jets third line and they're like, that's one of the best third lines in hockey. Cop, Lowry, Appleton, incredible. And they're right. Those three are incredible. The problem with Winnipeg's depth is not those three guys. It's everyone on the roster that's not those three guys. And that's not Shifley, Ehlers, Connor, right? Like Stasny, Wheeler are not what they used to be. Dubois got a bigger name on paper than he does game on the ice. Matthew Perot is useful depth, but I mean, he is, he is a true depth piece, right? Like that's a seventh top six forward at this stage of his career. Um, you know, to me, if you don't have a really, really good second line, like how do you have great depth? It doesn't matter if you're a third line's elite. But Mason Appleton is awesome. Mason Appleton's 25-year-old player, a 25-year-old winger, excellent, excellent defensive piece, can score a bit, uh, can do a, a little bit of everything. He's cost-controlled beyond this season with a 900K cap hit that extends into next year. Um, so, you know, an affordable, an affordable piece. And... I believe Barry, he remains a RFA. So he's also, you know, not cost controlled because he'll be arbitration eligible, but you know, there is yeah, yeah, arbitration control. There, there is, you know, long-term value out of a player in addition to the fact that he's cost controlled for next season. And, you know, he's played a third line role. Like this is not a guy who sniffed the power play really for the Winnipeg Jets, right? Like he, he logged 30 minutes of power play ice time this past season. Um, you know, PP two sort of guy, like this guy, this guy to me looks like one of those guys who can step up maybe a little bit higher in the lineup, maybe a little bit in that JT Miller type mold, um, that Vegas golden Knights sort of piece where if, if given more opportunity, he could maybe do a little bit more and he's still relatively young. Like he's not young, young, he's 25 but he's young in his NHL career, right? This is really his first full season getting top nine minutes in the NHL, right? Like this is a guy who I think may have some upside beyond what he's shown yet at the NHL level. And and to me, this is the perfect example. Like the Winnipeg Jets have to protect Blake Wheeler because he's got the NMC. Ehlers, Connor, no brainers. Dubois, you have to protect. He's got way too much value. Uh, in, ter- in in league wide terms, so we're we're up to four forwards, Cop, Lowry, right for sure. I mean those are those are no brainers, and then Shifley, that's a no brainer. Shifley's a first line center, yep. so that's your seven. That's your seven forwards right there. Mason Appleton clearly the odd man out, unless the unless the Jets did something odd or surprising, like decided to protect Appleton ahead of Andrew Cop. No chance, no chance. Andrew Cop's incredible, but. But either way, whether it's Cop or Appleton, that's exactly the situation where if you're a team like the Canucks jumping in there and being like, hey, and, you know, the Kraken will select one of these two guys if you don't protect them, or you can take our second round pick in the 2021 NHL entry draft and, you know, leave the Kraken to select Jansen Harkins. I mean, your call. <laughs> but this is exactly this, the situation that I'm talking about when I talk about weaponizing and Canucks fans hate the use of the term weaponized because I think people talked about the cap space in that in those terms for years while I was in Florida. But 
um, that's the perfect way to weaponize. Like this is the perfect distillation of how the Canucks can use additional protected slots and their overall lack of team depth to their advantage. Mason Appleton would be a perfect target for the club. Um, you know, by these by these sorts of means. Hey, on our last pod, sort of glossed over our first round predictions here in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I, I couldn't even remember. I knew that we had differed on three. Uh, leave it to Dave, spreadsheet mm-hmm. Dave, who Dave. started the the stake. Yeah, he's back. Oh, he, he's a legend. He didn't leave us after uh, the stake bet and the end of the regular season. Dave's come up with a new spreadsheet with yes. uh, our picks and his own. He wanted to put nice. his own. So oh, Dave's joining the mix it. here. Yeah. He deserves it. But yeah, the three series that we differed on were Tampa and Florida. Yep. Uh, Big game tonight. Vegas and Minnesota and Washington, Boston. Okay. Yeah. So, okay. So, uh, so you're already up one nothing. Yeah, in, in those three. And yes. we both got the Oilers wrong. We got the Oilers wrong. Ouch. Yeah. Ouch. We're looking good with Toronto. Uh, Carolina and Nashville, I think we both picked Carolina. Yeah. And well, we're, we're, we're not stupid. Yes. And <laughs> you, picked, you picked Colorado in three, and, and you were right. <laughs> yeah, I, I really was. <laughs> you were correct. So congratulations uh, on that one. Yeah. Um, we're a week away from the draft lottery. So, Oh, my God. That's sneaking up on me, huh? Yeah, Ooh. I know the the way the the hockey schedule is tilted with the COVID season. Like, yeah, next can't, week is June. June second is the draft lottery. Can't wait for so the, the Canucks. Ping pong balls. Can't, yeah. can't, can't wait for the Canucks to you know pick have their ninth overall pick at the NHL entry draft confirmed. Whew! The suspense killing me. <laughs> I'm saying put the Sedins on the on on the Zoom call. Like, get them in here, get them done, and they can be. You know, Jim's had enough of those years of sitting there in studio. No. Or last year was Zoom. Uh, <laughs> get, get get Daniel and Henrik on board. Get Buble and, Buble and Pedersen in the uh, they need perfect. Buble and Pedersen in the studio. You know, just like crooning. <laughs> do you think PD? Do you think PD's PD can sing? Do you think he's got pipes? I don't know. When I saw that picture of him in the studio, though, all I thought was uh, he looks like he wants to be on the VanCast. <laughs> like that looked like a guy that was begging to be a guest on the van cast. So I, I mean, it sounded to me like a guy laying down some sick slow jams tracks. You know, like straight up singing like a cover of the Dream. Um, <laughs> take take me home to your mama. Uh, sort of sort of, <laughs> sort of vibes from Pedersen. Um, I, I, I'm curious now. I'm curious. Like I've, I've heard him speak, uh, but you yeah. can, you can't always tell. You can't always tell who can sing. And uh, now I wonder. Now I'm I'm going to be wondering for a while. Like, <laughs> is Petey the crooner? The things that we'll endeavor to get to the bottom <laughs> of for the VIPs here uh, on the VanCast. If you're looking for other pot options here at The Athletic, there are many, including uh, Craig Custance and Sean Gentilly have The Athletic Hockey Show on Tuesdays. Don Granato, the interim head coach of the Buffalo Sabres, is their guest, so you may want to check that out. Uh, we always tell you to take a look at our uh, comments section and leave us a note. Uh, feedback is always welcome. Anything you'd like us to tackle here uh, now that we're into the offseason, uh, guests or segment ideas, uh, by all means, uh, let us know. So check out our comment section for every podcast episode of the Athletic app. Rate and subscribe to the VanCast on Apple. And if you're not already a subscriber, go to theathletic.com slash VanCast and receive a subscription for $3.99 a month. All right, we direct you again. We talked about it here, but uh, if you haven't had a chance to read it, uh, check out Tom and, and Harm's piece on the buyout power rankings for the Vancouver Canucks this offseason. Uh, certainly some 
uh, good fodder to digest, and uh, again, pretty instructive stuff, I think, to give people a better sense of, you know, it's, you can sit there and scream buyouts, and you hear the GM use the word, but uh, you guys did, I thought, a nice job of just sort of breaking down why this summer uh, isn't, ne- you know, that's not necessarily the best course of action for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and I, you know, well, I'll, I'll break this down more in, in the days ahead. Like, I'm going to do, I think, today, so for tomorrow, my big cap deep dive, where I just sort of you know, game out the scenarios um, just to just to sort of reveal what types of options the club is playing with. I, I always find that super instructive is just to sort of model it, uh, go about modeling it. So I'll sort of do that. And then at some point I do want to discuss at greater length and, and I will. I intend on sort of formulating my thoughts on this, but just the overall impact, the overall outcome from, you know, a, a really wild week that occurred last week at Rogers Arena and the positioning that the club is now sort of put themselves in for the for the long haul, but also, you know, have they? Like, have they structured this the right way or is this more of the same where the organization is once again putting people in a position where their, their incentives are not aligned with what this market is desperate for? And what this market is desperate for, J-Pat, and we can never forget it, is not to make the playoffs. It's, it's <laughs> to see this team win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, and the dust still has to settle on the coaching staff review, the front office review, uh, the Sedines. So we're all expecting that there will be some news here in the days ahead. And of course, there will be another VanCast before we are uh, through this week. So we'll get back at it. We'll see what uh, the next couple of days have in store from the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, we'll return with our third and final VanCast of this shortened work week for you uh, coming up on Friday. So for Drancers, J-Pat, as always, thanks so much uh, for listening to another edition of the VanCast here at The Athletic and theathletic.com.